Well, we're beginning chapter two here in the book of Ruth, and uh, just a very brief recap from this first session, and that is um, Naomi has returned back to Bethlehem in a desperate condition. She spent 10 years in the spiritual wilderness in Moab and has experienced the worst tragedies perhaps that life can throw at you. She's a widow, her sons have died, she's penniless, she's alone. She's too old to work, too old to get married again, too old to have children again. She's nobody, she's got no name, no significance, um, no land, no help. And even at the end of, are we so at the end of chapter one, uh, she says, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter, life's turned out, it's gone belly up, life's turned out bad for me. That's the condition that Naomi's in at the start of chapter two. But by the end of chapter two, something's changed. A sparkle returns to her eyes. Hope begins to return to her life. And the question we need to ask is, how does that change happen? What went on to change Naomi from a woman of bitterness to a woman who began to sparkle once more? Well, the answer is that she experienced God's loving kindness. Back in chapter 1, in verse 8, she said, uh, or she prayed for uh, Naomi and for Orpah, May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. That word kindly is the word hesed. It's the word for God's loving kindness. And she prays that would happen to her daughters-in-law. And it begins to happen to her. So much so that by the end of the chapter, she even blesses God and says... Blessed be God whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. She experiences the loving kindness of God. And I said that comes from this Hebrew word, hesed. It appears 250 times in the Old Testament. And it's a very important word. It's a word that God uses to describe him himself. Back in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 3, when um, in Exodus chapter 34, when Moses meets with God on top of the mountain, God describes himself to Moses with these words. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in hesed, loving kindness and faithfulness, keeping hesed for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Often, as I said, it's translated steadfast uh, loving kindness or steadfast love or favour. It's God's deep goodness. Hesed is a way to describe God's never stopping, never giving up, unconditional, always and forever love. His, his covenant keeping love, his promise keeping love. It's his commitment to bring about the blessings that he has promised no matter what it costs him to do so. And we see in this chapter how God pours out this hesed, this loving kindness, on two 
poor widows. Two women who have taken refuge under his wings. And the message for you and me is this. If you take refuge, or if you have taken refuge under the shelter of God's wings, then he will lavish his loving kindness on you and in your life as well. Now there's three things I want us to see from this chapter about how God's loving kindness comes to us. How does God's loving kindness come into our lives? You know, we say that God is a God of love. God is a God who wants to lavish his loving kindness on us. How does he do that? Three ways. It comes through God's providence. It comes through God's people. And it comes through God's active pursuits. It comes through God's providence. It comes through God's people. And it comes through God's active pursuits. First of all, it comes through God's providence. I, I, I said I defined providence in our first session as God's wise and powerful preserving and governing our lives. And in verses 1 to 3, we see two ways in which God provides for Naomi and Ruth. Two ways in which his providence <coughs> is a means of him lavishing love and love onto them. He does so through the law and then through circumstances. First of all, through the law. God provides through the law. Ruth and Naomi were very poor. So Ruth does the only thing she can to get food. Verse 2. Ruth says to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favour. That word favour is the word hesed again. The same word that Naomi's prayed for her Ruth in chapter 1. And one expression of this hesed is going to come through God's law. In fact, through a specific law that God made about gleaning. The word glean comes of, is, is the key word in this chapter and appears 12 times. What's gleaning? Well, Back in the Old Testament, God made a law that Jewish landowners were not to farm the whole of their crops. Uh, they weren't to maximise the, their profits. They were to leave a border around the edge of their fields so that the poor could go and glean, gathering the leftovers. The law, in other words, was set up by God for for farmers and landowners because he loves the poor and marginalised. You see, God's love and God's kindness are written into his commandments. It's easy for us to think that God's love and God's law are opposed to each other. They are completely different things, but actually they are closely connected. You see, what God says in his law, is an expression of his character. It's an expression of his love. You know, we do something similar, don't we, in our lives? You know, when I tell my boys at home, tidy your shoes up. Don't punch your brother. Um, say thank you to your mum and give her a kiss. Uh, at the, that, those laws that I'm laying down, are an expression of my love for them. I want them to flourish. I want our family to flourish. 
We see this in life generally. You know, at the start of every football season, uh, the football managers all get together and are told about the new laws that are coming into place in the Premier League. And, uh, uh, and the last couple of years, there's been all this controversy about VAR. But why are those laws given? Why is VAR given? It's, it's to make the game of football more enjoyable. To make it flow better. To make it flourish more. Yeah. Law and... Law is not a means of, express, of, of diminishing joy and diminishing love, but a way of expressing it and a way of enabling flourishing to happen. happen. And that's the same, the same thing's true with God's Ten Commandments. There are ten expressions of his love for us. Ten means by which our lives can flourish. God's law and his love are not opposed to each other. His law is a means by which he expresses his love. But second, we see that God's loving kindness comes to these women through circumstances. In verse 1, we're introduced to a man called Boaz. He is a relative of Naomi's husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. The writer is just throwing that in there because he's introducing this man to us so that we might ask the question, could this man be God's answer to Naomi's prayer? Well, we know the answer to that. But in the moment, Naomi and Ruth know nothing about it. See, Ruth goes off to glean in the field. In verse 3, we're told that she just happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And then while she just happened to be in that field, it just so happened that the landowner Boaz came from Bethlehem. Behold, Boaz turns up. The writer's getting, drawing us into the story and getting us to see there are some things here, some coincidences some happenings, some lucky situations arising. But we know, don't we, and the writer knows, there is no such thing as luck. We know there's no such thing as coincidence. We know there's no such thing as just happening. The just happenings in life are God's good providence. You see... Ruth had no idea that she was coming into Boaz's field. She had no idea who Boaz was. But God was in his providence guiding, directing the circumstances of her life. The, the happenings, the insignificant details. The fact she chose that field and that part of the field. And God was guiding for her good and for Naomi's good. You know, Ruth makes a seemingly insignificant incom you know uh, uh, decision and yet it has long term consequences for her life you know there's no insignificant details in life there's nothing happens randomly not a sparrow falls to the ground without God knowing about it what's unpredictable to us is certain to God 
every single detail of life is known and guided and directed by God's loving and holy and wise and powerful providence. You know, what seems random to us is part of God's good design for our lives. Like the way Jill and I met. We, uh, when we began secondary school, um, Jill uh, happened to turn up late to, to geography class. Um, and, uh, and there happened to be uh, just two spare seats in the class. And one just happened to be next to me. And Jill just happened to come and sit down next to me in geography. So I'm going to enjoy geography lessons uh, this year. Uh, Jill, Jill had no idea what she was doing, and she had no idea who I was. <laughs> I tried to change that uh, over a number of years. Uh, she didn't know I existed, let alone that we were going to get married one day. And yet, looking back now, we can see that God was at work even in geography. God's God's providence is like a Hebrew word. It can only be read backwards. And that's so helpful for you to know when you're struggling with guidance. In the middle of the jigsaw pieces of life, when the puzzle has not been finished, when the tapestry has not been woven, when, you, when like Ruth, you can't see the end of the story, you know, we try and guess sometimes how things are going to turn out and, and what's going to happen. And we can get anxious and we can get frustrated and stressed and, and, and come with all these different ideas in our heads. But God is working things out in his way and his time for our good and for his glory. He's working things out in ways that you can't even imagine. And he calls you in the moment not to worry about the future, but to trust him. To live life in the now. Do you know, that is the secret to contentment. The secret to contentment is to live life in the now. You can't change tomorrow. But you can live life in the now today. And that's what God calls you to do. You know, sometimes we think to ourselves, well, if this situation in my life was changed, then... I'd be content. Then I would be happy. You know, if only my job changed. Or if only I was married. Or if only I wasn't married. <laughs> or if only I had children. Or if only I didn't have children. You know, or if only I, I was able to move house. Or if only my health was better. Or if only. But there's no ideal situation. There are no perfect or complete circumstances. God calls us to live life in the now, not in the future. Today, not tomorrow. In the present, while the jigsaw is still unfinished. While the tapestry is still being woven. Trusting in God who will weave it. Who will finish it. And in his loving kindness, will make it good. God's love comes through his providence. But it also comes through his people. So often in life, God, ex God expresses his love and kindness to us through his people. And we see that here in verses 4 to 17. And we see it through two 
of the main characters of the story, Ruth and Boaz. First of all, God's loving kindness comes to Naomi through Ruth. In this chapter and elsewhere in the book, Ruth is described as the Moabite. And I think it's because the writer keeps wanting to remind us of her background. She's a foreigner. A member, a descendant of God's enemies. Yet she's been converted. She's come under the wings of refuge, under God's, under the shelter of God's wings. And that love that she has experienced has changed her life. And we see that here. First of all, she is courageous. She takes the initiative and goes out into the fields to glean. Just think for a moment what that would have meant for her. Go out by yourself into the fields of a foreign country to glean. You're a foreigner, a widow, you're vulnerable easily be abused or raped and yet she's willing to go she's faithful when she works there when Boaz comes to the field he, 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 he notices her and he says to his workers in verse 5 whose young woman is this and the servant who is in charge of the reapers answered she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab he can't even mention her name maybe he's embarrassed she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Even the foreman who can't mention her name is amazed at how faithfully and consistently she's worked. And she's humble. In verse 10, she falls down at the feet of Boaz to ex express her thanks to him for his kindness to her. She says, why have I found favour in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? She doesn't say, oh, I deserve this because this is God's law. She's like, why have you been so kind to me? I don't deserve this love. I don't deserve this kindness. Now, these are beautiful characteristics which are found together in lives transformed by God's love, courage, faithfulness, humility. And why does she go and glean in the first place? Well, Boaz says it's to serve Naomi. Verse 11, he says, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. One of the reasons Ruth probably left Moab is because she knew that Naomi was unlikely to survive without her help. God's love comes to Naomi through Ruth, but God's love comes to Ruth and Naomi through Boaz. Boaz is, is a standout man in the book. He's better than Mr. Darcy. He, he, he's faultless. He's a, I think that's why in verse 1 he's described as a worthy man. He's experienced God's love in his life and it has changed his life. You know, if you're a man here this morning, then Boaz is, a, is an example to emulate. And if you're a single woman, this is what to look for in a husband. You know, he's, he's a boss who cares for his employees. His first words to his workers when he comes to the field are not, how much profit have we made today, lads? Or, you know, 
Are you working hard enough? But the Lord be with you. And he cares for them, and they know he cares for them. And so their response is, the Lord bless you. They respect him. He cares for the vulnerable. In verse 8, he says to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. He protects her from abuse. He cares for this vulnerable woman. He provides her with water to drink so she doesn't have to go and get her own and stop gleaning when she does so. He even allows her to eat roasted grain and bread with his workers. But he also keeps God's law about the poor. And he does so generously. He doesn't say about gleaning, okay, how wide a margin should we keep at the end of our field? He's generous with his stuff. He even instructs his young men and and says to them in verse 15, let Ruth glean even among the sheaves and don't reproach her and pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. You know, how a person treats God's law and how a person treats the poor and the weak are a far better indication of Christian maturity than what a person knows and what a person can do. Before Ruth goes to the field, she prays she'd find favour from God and from the owner of the field. And in verse 12, Boaz says he wants God to bless her and show her favour. And Ruth responds here in verse 13 by saying this, I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant. What she's saying is this, Naomi's prayed for favour to come into my life. I've prayed for favour to come into my life. Boaz, you've prayed for favour and love to come into my life and you're the one who, by whom that love and kindness is coming. See, God's love often comes to his people. Haven't you experienced that yourself? You know, when you look at your life and the incidents of your life and the things that have helped you, Hasn't it been that comforting word at the end of a service? Just that right word at the right time. Or that, that, that hug and that touch from a friend. Or that gift which was given at just the right time and in such a thoughtful way that it just melted your heart. Or that moment that you spent with someone. Someone who listened, someone who understood. Or that kind action, that way that a person looked out for you and sacrificed for you. Hasn't there been times like that when those things have conveyed God's love to you? Encouraged you in your life? Sustained you in your faith? Strengthened your hope? Helped you to keep going and not give up and despair? There's a guy in our church who's had a really really tough time this last year and he said to me last week, he said, um, I don't know how I would have kept going without my small group and without our church. 
because it's been really hard this last year to keep going um, without a job and without much hope in the future. This is one reason why being actively involved in church is so important. Because other Christians are one of the main ways that God will show his love to you. And you are one of the main ways that God will show his love to others. You know, is that the way you view yourself? You know, God has got no body. He's got no hands. But you are God's hands. You are God's feet. You are God's mouthpiece. There are some people God wants you to serve. Some hands God wants you to hold. Some people he wants to cry on your shoulder. There are some things only you can do and, only, and some people only you can serve. Some words only you can say. Some ways only you can love. God wants you to be a vehicle of his love to others. God's love comes through providence, it comes through his people, but it also comes through his active pursuit. This uh, chapter ends with a wonderful scene in verses 18 to 23, when Ruth returns from the field. She, she, she left Moab only with the clothes on her back, but now she returns home with more than just the clothes on her back. We're told in verse 18 she returns with an ether of barley on her back and a doggy bag of leftovers from lunch as well. An ether of barley is 22 litres of barley. That's 11 Coke bottles. Try carrying that home without plastic bags or a supermarket trolley. That's an awful lot of barley from one day's gleaning in the field. No wonder Naomi says in verse 19, Where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. That is a lot of stuff you're carrying. You know, Ruth must have been puffing and panting up the hill. <laughs> She's been staggering back under the weight of God's pr provision, staggering back under the weight of God's love. See, these two women arrive back in Bethlehem empty-handed. But God is beginning to fill those empty hands. Ruth had taken refuge under the shelter of God's wings, and she's not disappointed. God is lavishing his love on her. He's pursuing her with his love. He's going before her to show her good. Do you know that no one ever came to Jesus Christ empty and left empty? If you come to Jesus Christ full, you will leave empty. If you come empty, then he will fill you up. If you come to Jesus Christ with full hands, full hands of your own goodness and your own self-sufficiency, you will leave empty. But if you come to Jesus Christ empty, at the end of yourself, then he will come and fill you up and lift you up. Jesus' mother Mary understood that. And in her wonderful song of praise, the Magnificat, in Luke chapter 1, she says, He has brought down the mighty from their seat. And exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things. But the rich he has sent empty away. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. Then if you give your life to Jesus Christ. 
you will discover that he is no man's debtor. If you give up your life to him, he will give it back to you and more beside. He will lavish you with his love, pressed down and running over. You know, no one ever turns to God and commits, whoever, no one, whoever turns to God and commits themselves to him will ever find themselves shortchanged. You know, God is like a great eagle, you know, seeking Israelites, seeking Moabites, seeking Hampsteadites to come under the shelter of his wings. And anyone who does that will find that he is abundantly good and generous and kind and loving. But God's love isn't just given to Ruth, it's also given to Naomi and it changes Naomi's life. You know, when when Naomi sees God's blessing in the barley and hears about the kindness of God through Boaz, she says, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. She's overcome with God's kindness. In fact, she begins to imagine that God might be kind in the future. She says about Boaz, the man is a close relative of ours. One of our redeemers. The writer just leaves that hanging, but Naomi's beginning to imagine if God has been kind like this, if he's pursuing us with kindness and pursuing me with love, he's going to continue to do that. You know, the warmth of God's grace is melting the iceberg of her heart. Light appears in her eyes again. Hope begins to return. Instead of the emptiness and the bitterness, there's now a fullness. There's now a warmth. If you're here this morning and you're feeling empty, you're feeling bitter, you're feeling disappointed at God, then look to God's love for you. See how much God loves you that he would send his son to die for you on the cross. And as you look at Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and see that God loved you so much he would send his son to die on the cross for you, as you look to that and experience that love, then know for certain if he loves you that much, then he will pursue you all your life long with his kindness and love. You know, 200 years after Ruth went out into the fields of Bethlehem to glean, one of her descendants, David, went out into those same fields to look after sheep. And it was probably in those, she- those fields, as he was caring for the sheep, that he wrote his famous psalm, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And if he's my shepherd, I shall not want. He will lead me in green pastures. He will lead me beside still waters. He will restore my soul, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they will comfort me. You will spread a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You will anoint my head with oil. My cup will overflow. And so he concludes, Surely goodness and hesed, mercy, loving kindness, 
shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that word follow, David knew what he was doing. That word follow is the word pursue. It's the word that is used of a lion going after its prey, stalking its prey, ready to pounce on its prey. See, what David is saying about God is this. If God is your shepherd, if you have come under the wings of his, uh, of his wings, if you have taken shelter under God the great eagle, then he will pursue you all your life long with his love. He will pursue you and hunt you down with his love and his kindness. Do you know, is that your view of God? Do you know that he's after you to do you good? He wants to do you good more than you want good to be done to you. He rejoices to do you good. Do you know that he, he wants to do that through his providence? Through the circumstances of your life? He wants to do it through his law. He wants to do good to you through his people. And he wants to pursue you with good all your life long until you come back to him in heaven. Look to Jesus Christ until you believe that. Look to Jesus Christ and see God's love for you until you know for certain and for sure that God wants to do you good. Until you can say with David, surely goodness and hesed will pursue me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me pray. Father, you are a loving God. We sing about your love we know it in our heads but so often we struggle to believe in our hearts believe that you are a God of love who really does love us and wants to do us good Lord help us if we've never done so to come under the shelter of your wings to take refuge there and for those of us who have help us to know that if we have taken refuge there then you will pursue us all our life long to do us good. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.